0: We are in week two of our series, Rhythms of Life, and we're looking at the rhythms, the spiritual rhythms that God has given us to know Him more, to grow in Him, to walk with Jesus, to rest in Jesus. We call those rhythms spiritual disciplines. Spiritual disciplines, these are the grace empowered habits that allow us to tap into the flood, the overwhelming flood of God's presence and power and knowledge and wisdom and truth these are the things that allow us to tap into that flood and grow as believers in Jesus Christ and fall more and more in love with him these are the path if you will to vibrant overcoming supernatural power in the life of the believer Uh, but here's what I would tell you these spiritual disciplines these rhythms They do not contain the power, they transmit it. What do I mean by that? I mean that most mornings, I wish I could say every morning, it's not. Most mornings though, I try to get up and I try to go for a walk around my neighborhood. And I try to get two or three miles in. Sometimes around mile one, I lose motivation. I don't know, sometimes it happens to me, probably not to you guys. And uh, anyway, you know, three miles, I start going for three, I end up like one and a half and, and then I just end up back at the house. But I try, right? And so I go out and I walk in my neighborhood and everywhere I go in my neighborhood are Streets are lined with utility poles and highline wires everywhere I go. I could just follow them around the neighborhood. And I know that if I were to scurry up one of those poles and grab a hold of one of those lines, I will probably get a bit of a shock, probably a big shock. Why? Is it because that line is powerful? No, it's because that line is connected to the power. It's because that line goes to a transformer. That transformer is connected to a substation, and that substation is connected to the primary source of electricity. And God's, uh, these rhythms that he's given us, these spiritual disciplines are like that. They connect us to the power of God's presence. And uh, each week we're going to look at a different rhythm. Each week we're going to look at a different uh, spiritual rhythm discipline and unpack how God uses that rhythm to grow us and connect us to his power. And this week, we are looking at the rhythm of pursuing God in his word, pursuing God in his word. I think that all of the spiritual disciplines are important, all of them. And there's not a a perfect list of spiritual disciplines, but they are all important. They are all uh, incredibly beneficial and helpful in the life of the believer. But this one, this one, the the rhythm of God's word and pursuing God in his word, for me, stands above the others. And here's why. Because everything that we know about the spiritual disciplines is shaped and informed and, and illuminated by what we learn about that discipline through God's word. Right. So I don't know that it's an overstatement to say the joy that we find in the spiritual disciplines and the satisfaction that we find in the spiritual disciplines is going to be born out of the understanding we gain of them from God's word. This is the book that's going to give me the understanding of that discipline to make that discipline move from a check I give to a joy and a life-giving, sustaining rhythm that I keep. That joy, that satisfaction, what we know of them is born out of God's Word. So the the satisfaction that I get in fasting, I get from what God's Word teaches me about fasting, the joy of, of generosity, I get that because of what God's word teaches me about living generously, right? The the blessing of living in gospel community, the blessing of scripture memory, the blessing of serving, all of those things are shaped and informed by God's word. So that's why we begin here. And listen, this is no ordinary book. Do you believe that? This is no ordinary book. I want you to turn to your neighbor, fight through the awkward and say, this is no ordinary book. All right? Some of you laid out on me and I'm so frustrated right now. So frustrated with you. This is no ordinary book, right? There is something extraordinary about this book. First, because we know it is the living, inspired Word of God. And we're going to spend our time together unpacking that. But secondly... It's an extraordinary book simply because of the unbelievable scope and breadth and historical accuracy of the Bible. Let me just tell you a little bit about the book you hold in your hands. It is 66 books uh, written by 44 different authors spanning over 1,600 years. From the first author who was Moses, who wrote Genesis, to the last author who was John, who wrote Revelation. 1,600 years, 44 authors between them, 66 books in the Bible. It was written on three different continents. It's been translated into over 2,000 languages. And listen, this is important. Of all of the scientific and archaeological discoveries that we've made over the past 1,000 years, there has yet to be a single one that negates or refutes any detail in this book. There hasn't been one. And these are scientists and archaeologists that are oftentimes searching for the thing that will disqualify God's word. And what happens is the more we discover, the more it's affirmed. Isn't that beautiful? This is something only God can do. It's why it's worthy of our pursuit of him in it. And why talk about that? Why talk about that historical accuracy? Because I think it's important for the believer to know those things. Here's why. Because here's what the world wants you to think. The world wants you to think that in order to accept this book, you have to turn your brain off. The world wants you to think that you can't approach God's word with your mind. You can't think about it critically and intellectually. You have to turn your brain off in order to accept that. But I want to tell you everything that I know, everything that I see, and everything that has been discovered, whether it's the Dead Sea Scrolls or any of these others, everything that I see affirms for me, this is not a blind faith, this is an informed faith. It is is affirmed over and over and over again. This is also, by the way, the best-selling book in the history of humanity. Five billion, with a B, five billion copies sold. A hundred million copies a year sold of God's word. Fun fact, it's also the most shoplifted book in the history of humanity. <laughs> Did anybody else find that just a little weird? Nothing is stolen more than the Bible. <laughs> I just, I, I giggle every time I say it because I'm like, even, you know, God's just like, I don't care if you steal it or buy it, I just want you to have it. I want you to pursue me in it. And this is no ordinary book. Now, I know that some of you are already thinking, here we go again. This is another sermon on why I should read my Bible more. And already I know that the enemy is whispering to you what he is whispering to me. He's whispering a lie to us this morning. And let me see if if you recognize this lie. Here's what he's saying. You should feel guilty that you don't read your Bible every day. Anybody? You know this is where Pastor Matt's going today, and you should feel shame that you don't read your Bible every day. Hey, while he's preaching, you better be sure you look him in the eye, nod when he says something awesome, because you don't want him to think you're one of the people that don't read. You need everybody in this room to think you read your Bible every day. Right? It's just, that's just a lie. Do you understand that your Heavenly Father has little use for shame? Amen. He just has no place for it. He doesn't shepherd us that way. He shepherds us with, with grace and with mercy and with joy and with hope and with renewal and with satisfaction. And so let's just begin at the same place this morning, which is this. All of us have, have a new place to get to. When it comes to pursuing God in his word, can we just all start there? Because if we'll all start there, it opens us up to just go, okay, I don't have to pretend like I got the whole thing memorized. I don't, I can, I can put that aside and I can, I can gain what God wants me to hear this morning. You know, I think one of the reasons we struggle with this is because we, we approach God's word like a kid being told to eat their vegetables, right? Anybody ever got anybody else's children not love vegetables, right? Kids, if you're in the room, how many of you love broccoli? It's your favorite. Any any lovers of broccoli? There are two hands, and I'm not sure they're being honest, um, because no kid loves broccoli. It tastes like dirt, and it's weird, right? It looks like something. It looked like the ground. Something happened in the ground, terrible, and broccoli came out, and so. Um, Uh, Nobody loves eating their vegetables and we take this approach to God's word which means we know it's good for us But we really don't want to do it And we don't want to do it for a number of reasons one Maybe we're not sure how to start or we don't think we'll understand it So we take that eating my vegetables approach which robs us of the joy Either that or we take this approach We come and we eat one big meal a week And then we need that meal to get us through till the next time we come and eat one big meal. And God's word is neither of those things. I want you to hear me. God's word is a perpetual, endless feast for his children. And no matter how often you come to the table, it does not run out. Paul and Peter both describe God's word as food. It It is nourishment for our soul. It is milk. It is meat. It is what we need. It's described as food. Not only is it a feast, it is also a light. It's like a lighthouse that illuminates the path that God has for us. Psalm 119, verse 105. This is one of the most important chapters in the entire Bible. It's also the longest chapter in the entire Bible, It is 176 verses, and every one of them are about one thing, God's word. And so Psalm 119, 105, I'll reference this chapter a lot. It says this, your word is a lamp to my feet, and it's a light to my path. What is David saying? He's saying, it causes me to see where I am and see where I'm going. So it's food for us. It's light for us. Here's the other thing it is. It's armor. It's protection. us. Ephesians chapter 6 verse 17, that great passage about the armor of God Paul says this, take up the sword of the spirit which is the word of God and as we come to see God's word as food and as light and as armor, as protection as the very thing that infuses our lives with joy and peace and power, it it moves from being something we have to do to being something we can't do without. That's that's the transition that I want in my heart. I don't want to ever approach God's word like something I have to do. I want to approach God's word as something I can't do without. One of my favorite preachers is a pastor in the Houston area named Scott Pollock, and he says this, The vibrant life that God has for you is waiting inside a holy obsession with personally engaging God's word. I'm going to leave that up for a minute because there's not nearly enough of you taking a screenshot of that. The vibrant life that God has for you, which is to say, God has a vibrant life for us. He wants great things for us. He has great plans for us. I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. They're plans to prosper you, not to harm you, but to give you hope and a future. The vibrant life that God has for you is waiting where? Inside a holy obsession with this book. So, it is worth our pursuit this morning. I want us to discover that vibrant life together. I want us to see the power of God's word and the treasure of pursuing Him. And my prayer is that the rhythm of God's word will become a holy obsession for us. That's my prayer. So, let's grab our Bibles and go to 2 Timothy chapter 3. 2 Timothy chapter 3. This is a letter that Paul wrote to his disciple Timothy. Timothy is now uh, the pastor at the church in Ephesus. He's over at New Beginnings Ephesus, if you've ever been by. It's a great church. He's pastoring that church now, and Paul is, he's writing some of his last words um, to his disciple Timothy, and he's giving him kind of this final charge. And with this final charge, look at what he says, starting in verse 14. Paul says, but as for you, talking to Timothy, as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All Scripture, all of it, is breathed out by God. And it is profitable for teaching, for reproof, For correction and for training in righteousness. Why? So that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. One of the things that jumps out at me immediately as I read this week is in the first few words that Paul says here, he says, But as for you, Timothy, I want you to continue in what you have learned and have been assured of. Continue in. God's word. That little phrase, continue in, is the Greek word mano. If you remember from last week when we looked at John 15, where Jesus said, abide in me and I'll abide in you. You know what the Greek word he used? Mano. So the word that Jesus used to talk about the way he wants us to relate to him, abide in him, rest in him, endure with him, is the same word Paul uses to talk about the relationship we should have with God's word. He says, Timothy, I want you to abide in it. I want you to continue in it. Why? Because it is going to do something. It is going to prepare you. It is going to equip you, as we'll discover this morning. There are three things that I think we can see from God's Word together in 2 Timothy chapter 3. Three things that answer the question for us, why pursue God in His Word? And here's the first one. We pursue God in His Word because of what Scripture is. It is the voice of God. It's the voice of God. Look at the first part of verse 16. All Scripture is breathed out by God. I don't know if you're someone who marks in your Bible or underlines. If you are, that phrase is worthy of an underline, breathed out by God. It's worthy of a highlight. That is an incredibly powerful phrase. Some translations put the word inspired there, so it would say all Scripture is inspired by God. And and while that's a good translation and it's, it's adequate, I don't think it quite hits the mark because the Greek word that Paul uses there is a word that we don't find anywhere else in the Bible. You don't find it anywhere else in any other Greek writing. Most scholars think Paul actually invented the word so that he could rightly describe how we should see the Bible. When it's breathed out by God, he took the Greek word for God and the Greek Greek word for breath or spirit and created a compound word that we don't find anywhere else. But through that word, what we find is the divine authority, the divine origin, the divine nature, and the divine voice of Scripture. In other words, Paul is saying, when the Bible speaks, God speaks. Are you with me? When the Bible speaks, God speaks. When the Bible is spoken, it is the voice of God speaking. Now, that doesn't mean every time... I preach about the Bible or Pastor Todd preaches something from the Bible that everything we say is the voice of God. I acknowledge you. Y'all have said in enough of my sermons to know sometimes I say some stuff that everybody in here knows didn't come from heaven. You know what I mean? But sometimes uh, that happens and we acknowledge that. But when I pick this up and I read it, when you pick this up at home and you read it in your quiet time or you read it with your family, or you, you're hearing it spoken. Anytime God's word is spoken, it's the voice of God that is speaking to us. This is what we mean when we say God's word is inspired. It isn't to communicate that we find it inspiring, though we certainly do. It's to communicate the divine voice that is speaking. You know, last year, Carrie and I went to, uh, we led the mission cation to Washington, D.C. Has anybody ever been to D.C.? Been to, and toured around and... Saw the buildings and the sights and really is a cool place. Um, don't go in the summer because it's hot and there's a million people, but do go. It's a really cool time of, of, of just re- seeing our nation's history and all of these beautiful monuments that you see in pictures and movies and you get to go see them. And the most impressive thing, I think the, the building that just had a lasting impression on me was the Library of Congress. If you've ever, I've got a couple of pictures I want to show you. Here's, here's one of the pictures of the Library of Congress. Everywhere you look in this building, everywhere you look is ornate decoration. It's marble columns. It's marble over your head. It's it's brass and and beautiful granite tile. It's unbelievable. And everywhere you look, every nook and cranny of these buildings, on the ceiling above, in these art uh, uh, walkways, everywhere you look are these. Inspiring quotes that are chiseled in the marble are etched in the brass and copper plating of the most brilliant minds in the history of humanity Everywhere you go. It's right there I stopped taking pictures because all I did all I realized I was doing was taking pictures of the floor or the wall because it just had Something awesome on it and finally I was like, why don't you just read what's awesome? Stop taking pictures of it But it's everywhere you look and you immediately know when you're in that building that you are, you are in the building with the greatest collection of human knowledge on the planet. It's just a unique place to be. But even knowing I stood in this library with hundreds of thousands, maybe millions of books, and the highest human intellect, there was a book that stood out above all the others, and it was this one. That is a Gutenberg Bible If you don't know anything about the Gutenberg Bible, it was printed by a man named Johann Gutenberg. He invented what is called the metal type press in Europe. And it was the first press where the Bible could be printed for uh, people to have. And so it was instrumental in the Bible only being available to priests and spiritual elite and the Bible being available to people who could have access to it. And this was one of the first Prints off of that Gutenberg press was a Gutenberg Bible and and I stood At this wooden cabinet Which seemed out of place You, you just look and everything else is so Unbelievably decorated and beautiful and you look at this wooden cabinet, and I couldn't walk away from that book Yes, because it was important in history and it transitioned all of Western Europe yes but more importantly, because I stood in a building with millions of things were ins- that were inspiring, but that was the only thing that was inspired. There was only one book that was inspired, and it was that Bible. And I spent more time staring at that thing, thinking, this book is the book above all the others in this building. I heard a pastor say this week that God's Word is the sovereign exhaling of a holy God. A cool way to think about it. When God exhaled, he breathed out his word. God has breathed his divine nature. He's breathed his divine character into this book, which is to say then that it is alive. Hebrews chapter 4 verse 12 says, for the word of God is what? It is living. It is alive. Why? Because the one who breathed it out is alive. This is not a book among many books. This is the book above all others. We pursue God in his word because of what scripture is. It is the voice of God. Here's a second reason. We pursue God in his word because of what scripture does. Because of what scripture does. And what does it do? It disciples our hearts. It disciples our hearts. Look at 2 Timothy 3, verse 16. All scripture is breathed out by God. So we just talked about that. It is it is God's exhaling. And it is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. Now listen, believer, disciple, this is where the rubber meets the road for us. This is where God's word goes from being these amazing stories and these high spiritual ideas to getting very practical in our life in moving us along as disciples of Jesus. This is where God's word begins to train us and disciple our hearts. This is what God's word does. That word profitable that you see, he says it's breathed out by God and it is profitable. You could translate that word useful, beneficial, advantageous. The picture Paul is painting is scripture is good for you. It is food for you. It is light for you. It is protection for you. And Paul gives us four ways that that God's word is profitable. He gives us four ways that it disciples our hearts. He says, first it teaches He said it's profitable for teaching. Well, what does it teach us? God's word teaches us what we should believe. God's word teaches God's people what they should believe about God. So how do I build a foundation of belief? How do I gain an understanding of who God is? There's a ton of books out there that may help, but there is only one book that builds it in to your spirit. There is only one book that disciples your heart and gives you the doctrine to understand who God is and what he wants you to know about him, and through that, what he wants you to know about yourself. It's this book. It teaches us. It teaches us. And this was an issue that Timothy was facing at the church in Ephesus. He was dealing with false teachers. He was dealing with people who only wanted a portion of God's word and not all of it. Does that sound familiar? That's what Timothy was dealing with. And Paul said, uh, Timothy... You have to abide. You have to continue in this word. If you're going to overcome these false teachers who are trying to harm the church, the way you're going to do that is not by reading a book somebody else wrote. It's going to be by diving in and abiding in this word. He said in verse 15, Paul said, God's word is able to make us wise for salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. In other words, God's Word teaches us how to be saved. It teaches us who Jesus is and how we are saved through Him. One of the first churches I I ever served in, and this was forever ago, uh, was First Baptist Church, Cookville. Anybody know where Cookville is, Cookville, Texas? Got three or four people that have been lost before as well. Yeah, Jamie, I know you know where it is, being from around that area. Um, Cookville. And so I served at First Baptist Church, Cookville, for about three years. My pastor there was a man named uh, Howard. And Pastor Howard had a very powerful testimony. Here was his testimony. In his early years as a young man, he had gotten mixed up in drugs and all sorts of terrible things, uh, not just using, but also dealing and selling. And he tells the time as a young man where he was actually running in the middle of the night from the police. He was trying to get away, because they knew who he was, they knew what he did, and they were trying to to get him. And he found his way to a a motel. And he gets into the room of a motel, slams the door, pulls the shades, and and he's hiding from the police who are actively looking for him. He's sweated through his clothes, he's pouring down sweat, he's coming down off of some drug that he had put in his body. And in that moment, he knew his life had to change. I mean, here he was, having sweated through his clothes at two in the morning in the middle of the night, hiding from the police. If you ever find yourself there, by the way, call me. I'll come get you. We'll do what we You're in a bad spot when you're in that place. And he began to go through the drawers, see if he could find something of value that he could take. And he pulled the drawer by the bed of the nightstand, and what did he find in there? Found A Bible. He found a Gideon Bible that had been placed there. If you've ever looked at one of those Gideon Bibles, what you know is it's either in the first few pages or the last few pages. I can't remember. They put out the plan of salvation. They walk through the scriptures that teach us how God loves us and desires relationship with us and has a life of blessing for us, and how it's through the person and the work of Jesus Christ that we can have that life. And he began to read those verses, and right there in a motel room in the middle of the night, hiding from the police, he gave his life to Jesus. And he's, his prayer was simple, and it was this If this is true, will you save me? Why? Because God's word can make you wise for salvation. That's what it did. It is profitable for us because it teaches us the truth. Here's the second thing Paul says it does. It reproves us. Oh, we don't like this one. We don't like this one. This is rebuking, right? This is calling out our sin. This is revealing the things that we shouldn't do. Not only does it teach us, but then it calls out when we are out of alignment with that teaching. It reveals our Sin and calls us back to holiness. Look at the rest of Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12. We read the first few words, but it says this: for the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing. The, the, The picture there is it's being stabbed with piercing to the division of soul and spirit. It gets in there to the division of joints and marrow. Why? And discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Meaning God's word tells us when we are wrong. It reproves, it rebukes those outward sinful actions, those things that everybody sees. But it also reproves those inward hidden motives that nobody sees. It deals with, Believer, listen to me. It deals with the thing in your life that nobody knows about. And it doesn't deal with it in a way to lay shame on you. It deals with it in a way to give you freedom from it. It deals with it in such a way to reveal it for what it is in your life and to call you out of it. It teaches us and then it reproves us. Here's the third thing Paul says it does it corrects us. So, having taught us what is true, showed us where we weren't walking in that truth, it now corrects us back to. The truth, So it sets our feet right. It moves us back into the right path so that the doctrine and the things we learned of God that we forfeited in our sin and that position of victory and power and blessing that we forfeited because of our sin, it restores us to that place. It corrects us. Moves us back. This is why. Colossians 3.16, Paul says, let the word of Christ dwell. Let it dwell in you richly. Let it get into your bones. Psalm 119.24 says, God's word is our counselor. It gives us wise correction. God's word is profitable because it illuminates the path back to the truth. So it teaches us. It rebukes us. It then corrects us. And here's the last word. It trains us. It trains us for what? Righteousness. It trains us to live righteously. Um, In other words, God's word is training us on how to live out the gospel. So when you ask yourself, how do I live righteously in my work? How do I walk righteously when I'm struggling? How do I deal righteously with heartbreak And tragedy, how do I deal righteously with my neighbor who is on my last nerve? How do I deal righteously with my children who I want to lock outside and just wish them luck, right? Wait, sorry, maybe that came from a dark place. (laughs) Maybe that's only over there at 102 Wilkes. That's my bad. How do I walk righteously in my battle with sin? How How do I do this? How do I live that life? Paul said this book trains you for that life. It's it's the exercise. It's the get up every day and, and allow your mind and your heart and your spirit to get into the gym of God's training. It means that the Bible not only shows us how to be saved, listen, it shows you how to live saved. Psalm 119.9. I told you I was going to reference it a lot because I want you to to read Psalm 119. Psalm 119.9 says this. How can a young man keep his way pure? How, How do I live a holy life? How do I honor God in how I live? How do I keep myself pure? And how do I have a life of integrity and righteousness? And David said, by keeping it according to your word. That's how we do it. It oftentimes helps me If I'll remember things simply, so I don't know if this will help you, but it helps me. And that is when I think about those four things, teaching, correcting, or rebuking, correcting, and training. Here's what I think. God's word teaches us what is right, what is not right, how to get right, and how to stay right. That helps me. I need it real simple. My brain locks in on simple things. It teaches you what is right. It rebukes what is not right. It corrects so you can get right, and it trains so you can stay right. This is the power of God's Word. It disciples the heart. And that's why we pursue God in His Word. Here's the last thing. We pursue God in His Word because of what Scripture produces. And that is completeness. Completeness. Look at verse 17. Paul said it's good for all these things. Teaching, correcting, training in righteousness. Why? So that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good thing. Work. I want you to know that every time you open God's Word, it is doing something. There are no wasted minutes in this Word. There is no idle reading of God's Word. When you open it, because it is living, it is doing something. And what is it doing? It's completing you. It's equipping you for what? Every good work. Which is to say that God is not going to call you to anything that he doesn't equip you to do through his word. God has called us to live on mission in Matthew 28 in the Great Commission. How do I do that? I get trained and I get equipped through his word. God has called me to live out the fruit of the spirit of love and joy. How do I do that? I get equipped in his word. God has told me that I'm to live a life that loves him with all my heart and my soul and my mind. And then to love my neighbor as myself. How do I do that? I get equipped through his word. I can't do those things apart from the equipping and the completing that God's Word does, it's producing something in me, and that is completeness. Here's what I know. I know that if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, there is a desire in your heart to make this a regular rhythm, but I also know life gets in the way. Life gets in the way. I know that. We, we maybe don't know where to start or, or does it make sense? Maybe we believe the lie that we've got to have some sort of Seminary education in order to understand this, but I want to tell you something all the seminary that you need To be able to pursue god in his word you already have and that's the holy spirit of god here's why because the holy spirit that Dwells in you from the moment you make jesus the lord of your life is the same holy spirit that wrote every letter of this book And it is his joy to illuminate it for you So how do we do it? What do we need? What what do we need to be able to pursue God in His Word? Here's the first thing I'll tell you. I think you need a Bible that you can open. (laughs) Here's what I mean. I think it's important that you have a Bible that you open, not just one you turn on and off, okay? I'm not slamming the Bible. I have a Bible app on my phone, I look at it all the time. When it comes to time in God's Word, I think it's important that you have a Bible you open. If you don't have one, We will give you one today. You can put a Bible in your hand today. I don't want you wanting to pursue God and not having a Bible to do that. So you need a Bible you can open. Here's the second thing I think you need. A designated time and a designated place. Set a time and guard that time. Set a time and guard it. It may mean... You're up a few minutes earlier than you would normally be, but I'm going to guard that time. That time's going to belong to God. It's not going to belong. Maybe it's, it's in the evening before you rest. Maybe it's on your lunch break, but you're going to set a time, and you're going to set a place, and you're going to guard it. So we need the Bible. We need a time and place. And here's the last thing that I think you need is a plan. I think you need a plan. One of the worst things I think people can do is flip through these pages and just go, boom, okay, I'll read there. With no plan, you're going to land in the middle of Leviticus, and you're... Eyeballs are going to bleed because it's going to be confusing, right? We need a plan. There are a ton of great plans out there. If you're not sure what to use, there are some great apps we can show you. There are great devotions you can get. Get a copy of God's Word. Get a time and place and get a plan. And begin to pursue Him in His Word. Why? Because this world is full of books that can give you information. This world is full of books that can give you inspiration. But there is only one book that can give you transformation, and that is God's Word. I don't need more information. I don't need more inspiration. I need transformation, and that is here. God, transform our hearts through the power of your Word. Amen? Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word, for the treasure of your word. And God, I pray for your church, that we would be disciples and sons and daughters who pursue you through it. And God, I pray that we would never believe a lie of the enemy, but rather, God, that we would lean into the grace and the mercy and the joy that you have waiting for us, that vibrant life that is waiting for us in these pages. And so, God, I pray that as a church, that new beginnings would be known as a people of your word. And God, as we do that, we know that you will use us, you will complete us, you will train us and equip us for the good work you are calling us to do. We thank you and we love you and we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.